Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you. Help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I want to continue in this series on relationships. We believe that great relationships still exist, that marriages can last and can thrive, that you can have a great relationship with your teenage kids, and you can have friendships that, that last and move on. And, and really, last week we spent a little bit of time looking at Jesus' words, and, and we talked about fixing our focus. And how Jesus shows us we can't spend all of our time focusing on the speck in someone else's eyes when a lot of us are walking around with a plank sticking out of our own eye. He said, no, no you got to worry about what's going on in your own life first. You can't help them without first working on what's going on in your own life. Because if we get the, our perspective wrong and we're focusing on the wrong thing, then what we tend to do is we tend to take our own problems, the plank that's in our own life, and I, I project that onto your life. So now I'm trying to fix my problems on the canvas of your life, and that doesn't work. It's not good. It doesn't help you stay married. It doesn't help you raise your kids. It doesn't help you keep your friendships with one another. So Jesus said, no, no, you got you to put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror and really start focusing on what is it that God wants to do in your life when it comes to your relationships. So today we're continuing along that same thought. And last week I told you, this is a teaching I'm excited about because I heard this teaching and I wanted to bring it to our church because it affected me uh, so greatly. And, and today we're titling the message message, the prison of offense, the prison of offense. And I believe today that God is going to break some people out of the prison of offense. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would open our hearts to receive from you. I pray, and first off, just want to thank you, God, that, that you meet with us, that you love us, that you're here with us right now. So, God, I pray that I would get out of the way, and I pray for each and every one of us that you would just wake us up to your word, help us to see your truth, and it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Sermon on the Mount. We're going back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's such a relational passage. It's incredible what we can learn from this teaching from Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says this. You have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And this passage starts off with Jesus giving six theological upgrades, if you will. Because as the law of Moses had been passed down from generation to generation, we see that the, the do's and the don'ts were passed down, but really the heart behind what God was communicating to his people was not necessarily communicated as much. So Jesus upgrades it to, to making it very clear to everyone exactly what God is trying to communicate. And really there's this idea in this whole teaching of Jesus is saying, whatever happens in your life first happened in your heart. Let me say that again. Anything that takes place in your life first, a long time ago, began taking place in your heart. You'll see what happens here as Jesus starts to let this truth unfold here. He says, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. He's speaking about what happens on the outside, but then he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry... So now he's taking it to the heart issue. What's going on on the inside? Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but doesn't that sound like a cuss word? It's like got that sharp sound like Raka. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, that verse kind of scares me because for me to be honest, I've said quite a few things that are a lot worse than Raka or you fool, you know? I think for every one of us in here, we could say we've probably let some words coming out of our mouth that are a lot more damaging than that. But, but in light of what he's saying here, that, that what happens in your heart doesn't stay in your heart, that a thought can then turn into a word, it, something on the inside can become external and move outside. He's saying, you got to understand this, you can make your life a living hell. That you actually can make your relationships a smoldering dump. Do you believe that? Do you believe that by what you allow into your heart, you can make your, your life a, a living hell? And see, we get this. I'm not just making this up. We see that the word that Jesus used for, for the fires of hell, if you have an older translation of the Bible, like New King James Version or something, you'll see this different words. But the word he uses here is the word Gehenna. He says, you, you're in danger of the fires of Gehenna. Now, all Jewish people would know what Gehenna was. Gehenna was a physical location. And they used the name Gehenna as in synonymous with the difference between heaven and hell when we're talking about afterlife. So, so Jesus is talking here, and he uses the word specifically Gehenna. And every Jewish person would know what Gehenna was because Gehenna was a horrible dump that people would go, people who didn't know God, would go and they would sacrifice their infant children to the demon Moloch. They would burn them at this dump. And, and people would come and throw their trash on there. And th this was a horrible place. The Jews knew it and they knew how awful it was. They knew the practices there where, uh, where, where people would worship the enemy. And, and long after this practice ceased in that form uh, of people sacrificing their children, it's said that the fires of Gehenna never went out. That people would continue to go back there and throw trash on, on this fire pit and it would just smolder and burn. So Jesus is telling us, he says, listen, you're in danger of if you allow an offense to take place in your heart. If you allow anger and unforgiveness and bitterness to grow in your heart, you're literally allowing your heart to become a smoldering dump. You're allowing the, the, the very place where you could have a healthy relationship and you could have intimacy can become a, the very place where you feel like you're living in a hell. So he's saying so clearly here, you, you, you need to understand that, that this is a bad thing. You can't just allow offenses to grow in your heart. You can't allow anger to grow in your heart. And it's so interesting because I think we look right now in our culture, we, we can see that the reality that we live in is we live in a culture that is so easily offendable. Man, it, it's crazy how offendable people can be. It doesn't matter what you say or what you think or what you do, you're going to offend someone. It's true. I mean, the right is offended by the left. The left is offended by the right. You can't put anything on social media without offending someone. We, all, we just put our opinions out there, and everyone is so on edge about it. It's crazy. In church, I mean, I can tell you, I have to really spend some time praying and thinking about the words that come out of my mouth because I know every week I'm going to offend someone. 
And, and I, I can think of times where like I, I'll, I'll work on a message and I'll preach a message. And, and there's been some amazing times where people, their lives have been turned around. Some people have gotten saved, given their lives over to Jesus. And then I might throw out one little joke about a cat and a crazy cat woman or something. And you know where this is going. There was a service, a whole bunch of people. They just got saved. And a woman comes down, she wants to talk to me. And she goes, so I'm one of those crazy cat women you're talking about. I'm like, well, I didn't call anyone a crazy cat woman. You put that together in your own, why are you so offendable, right? Man, Christians can be so easily offendable. And isn't that ironic? Because as Christians, we follow the one who decided to lay down every offense that was ever used against him. He laid it down so that you and I could have freedom in him. And we say we're his followers. We say we understand what we've received in salvation. And then we pick up offenses for the stupidest little things all the time. It's ironic. It's weird to me. See, I'm not pointing the finger at any person in here because I know that I too can be just as easily offendable. I mean, here I am talking a couple years later about a crazy cat woman who uh, got me after a service. You know, you can, you, it's weird how you can hold on to these things. You can be offendable. See, Jesus um, tells us in this passage that we're going to look into that, that offense is something that we have to deal with. Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness is, is something that we have to deal with. Because if we don't deal with it, we're, we're allowing a heart to become truly a living hell. I heard one pastor say that one of the reasons why you are not happy is because you're too easily offendable. And if you want to have a happy life, then you need to become very hard to offend. You need to make it very difficult to offend because if you let offense grow, it can spiral out of control and make your life a living hell. So now we're going to look at some of the strategy that the enemy uses against us because we see that, that the enemy has an agenda for your life and for mine. That, that God wants to give us life and hope and happiness. He gives life to the fullest, but we see that the enemy has an agenda too. Jesus said the enemy comes to still kill, and destroy. The enemy's agenda for your life is destruction, okay? But it's not that the enemy just comes up to you and says, I'm gonna destroy you. No, he has a strategy of how he's going to make this happen. And Jesus reveals to us the strategy, Matthew 20, uh, 12, 25. He says, every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Jesus, Abraham Lincoln didn't say this first. Jesus said this first, that every house divided against itself will not stand. He said, this is, okay, so the enemy has an agenda for your life, and that's to destroy you. He has a, a, a strategy in how he's going to destroy you, and that's to divide your house. He knows that if he, he can, the, the first thing he's got to do in order to be able to destroy you is to, to divide you in your relationships, to divide you in your, your, your husband-wife relationships and uh, in every relationship that matters to you. So really, the enemy's trying to divide you. So every argument about the dishes, every battle that comes up in the house, every fight with your kids, it's all about the fact that the enemy is trying to get in between you. Sarah and Stuart, would you please stand up with me real quick? Um, these guys serve in our kids' ministry in 4640. Can you give them a hand, please? It's a great couple. How long have you guys been married? 14 years. 14 years. You were a little slow on that. You got to be a little... <laughs> 
Yeah, I want to get you in trouble today. <laughs> so, so this is what God says. He says that the two will come together and become one flesh. That's God's plan, that, that they'd be joined together. And, and the Bible says that the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and the church, that there's going to be a unity and a, a bringing together. They're going to be one together. But the enemy's plan is to come in here and to divide, to push them apart. Because I know if I can divide them, if I can get in the middle of them, then I, I can destroy them. I, I can bring destruction there. But this isn't just for, for marriage, because if this is also a picture of the church, it's exactly what the enemy wants to do in this church. It's exactly what the enemy wants to do with your relationship with your coworkers and your friends and those people in the small group that you used to be in a small group with. You're not in the small group with them anymore because the enemy came in here. He said, look, I'm, I'm going to divide you two. But in the marriage relationship, we see God wants to bring you together. Okay, And, and with God saying, okay, you're, you're one flesh together. And the enemy, the enemy's not going to come up and say, okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to divide you because, Stuart, you wouldn't stand for that. You put your dukes up, right? You're like, no, I ain't having to put your chest up, man. Like, <laughs> no. Nah. We, we ain't letting that happen, right? No one's going to come into my family and to divide me and my wife. No one's going to come in here and destroy my house. I'm not letting it happen. So the enemy knows he can't just come with his agenda and he can't just come with his strategy. He has to have a tactic. So the enemy's agenda is destruction. His strategy is division, but his tactic, and this is what I want to preach about today, is offense. His tactic to get in between the two of you because you'd never let it happen. Otherwise, is, is he tries to get us to pick up little offenses. But if I can just start off small, and I can make you upset about this little thing here and this little thing there, then eventually what's going to, do, what's going to happen is I'm going to be able to come in a way where I can start wedging something in between. Thank you, guys. You can sit back down. I appreciate it. <laughs> so if his tactic in our life is offense, see, we see that Jesus starts giving us this, this playbook in Matthew chapter 5, he's going, I, I, I want you to be aware that offenses are going to happen and you need to know how to deal with these offenses because the enemy is going to come and he's going to try to hurt you in your relationships that matter so much. Because the truth is, the, the greater and the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity. And that goes both ways. The, the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for intimacy but the closer the relationship, also the greater the opportunity for offense. That's why no one can drive you as nuts as people that you just love more than anyone else, right? No one can make you more mad than someone that you've given your heart to. It's because we raise the bar on people that we're close with. We, uh, we, have, we have an opportunity there. There's an opportunity for great intimacy, but there's also a greater opportunity for offense, and see, what's so interesting is as a pastor, I've seen people get to a point where they're really struggling with their kids or struggling with their spouse, where they'll, they'll get to a point with a bad end result, and they'll, be, they'll ask the question, I see it over and over again, they'll ask the question, how did we get here? How, how do we get here? I, I, I never saw it taking this turn. I never saw it getting to such a bad place. How, how do we get from a, a wedding that was so beautiful, a honeymoon that was so much fun, how do we get to that, from that type of love to now we're sleeping in different rooms and we don't even talk to each other anymore? We just pass in the hallways. How, how did it ever happen here? And we see that, that Jesus is trying to explain to us that, 
that the enemy is, is trying to destroy you. And, and, and he's trying to divide you. And the way he does so is with small little offenses. And if you let these offenses grow in your heart, because they're going to happen just one little offense at a time. If you let them grow in your heart, your, your life, your relationship can become a smoldering garbage dump. So Jesus continues on here in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 23. He says this, Therefore, okay, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar first and go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Man, do you hear the urgency here in Jesus? Saying, you can be at church worshiping God. You can be trying to bring an offering to God. And, and, and really, you're doing all these things. But, but that's not as urgent as the fact that you need to recognize your relationships are coming under attack. He's saying, if what I'm telling you is most important is to love God and then love people, then when, when your relationships, the second part of, of this, uh, uh, this walk with God, when your relationships are coming under attack, you got to stop what you're doing and go fix it right now. Because don't you know that, that really on the outside, we can come to church and we can put a smile on our face and we can sing worship songs all to try to cover up the fact that on the inside, there's something smoldering. Something burning on the inside. Because we come here and it's like with, with our words on the outside, we're singing these beautiful songs to God. But if we, if we really were honest and you could hear what was going on in our hearts, there's a lot of us in here that are just angry and hurt. And, I, and, and you were arguing on the way here and you, you haven't talked to them in months now. And that, that friend who used to be your friend is not your friend anymore. And they're, they're, all this stuff is going on. And he's saying, listen, it's possible that on the outside you could try to put a smile on your face and try to sing songs and try to give an offering. But, but, but don't act like you're not coming under attack when it comes to your relationships. you got to stop right now and go fix it. Fix it. There's an urgency here. Jesus said, this is so important. You've got to get to a point where you recognize that you've got to fix this because we don't know where it's going to end up. You don't want to be someone who's somewhere down the line going, how did we get here? So Jesus says this. Watch how bad this gets. He says, settle the matter quickly with your adversary. This is verse 25, who is taking you to court. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And I thought we were just talking about our brother and sister. In verse 21, the Bible, Jesus is saying, like, if you have a problem with your brother or sister, now in verse 25, he's talking about your adversary. Are we talking about two different people? I mean, because you could think maybe he's talking about two different people, but what if he's not? What if the same person that you call your brother or sister in verse 21 is the same person you will end up calling your adversary in verse 25 if you don't learn how to handle being offended? If you don't learn how to forgive people and, and, and to lay things down and to move on, there's an urgency so much here where Jesus is saying, settle the matter quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and the officer may throw you into prison, the prison of offense. The prison of offense. And it, and it all started with Raqqa. <laughs> it all started with the little offense. It all started in the Target parking lot. I was driving, you might have heard this years ago, I've grown up a little bit. Um, 
But my wife and I, we were driving to Target, and there's this elderly man who gets out in front of me, and he's got his right blinker on, which is interesting because there's nowhere to turn right when you're coming around the mall. Um, But he's driving there, and he's not in the right lane or the left lane. He's in both lanes, and he's doing like two miles an hour. And and I just couldn't handle it that day. I was was like, I got to get where I'm trying to go, you know. So I I finally, after a while, like we go a quarter mile of this, and I'm I'm starting to go mad. I'm like, he can't turn right here. This is just grass. Why is he doing this? Finally, I whip around him, and I go and I pull into the parking lot at Target, and I pull into a spot. Now, I get out, and I'm talking to Omelie, and I'm taking my time and all that. And finally, as I'm closing the door, this car pulls up at two miles an hour, and it's the old man. He rolls down his window, and he says, you cut me off. Now, i got to tell you, I felt like I was challenged in front of my wife. You can't challenge a man in front of his wife. You know what's coming next. So I, I puffed up and I looked at his wife. What are you talking about, old man? Why are you trying to turn right when you can't turn right anyway? Your blinker's still on right now. And I'm giving this man the what for. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. My wife's got to think I'm sexy because I'm like, t- I'm showing that I'm a man. If, it doesn't matter if you got a Fellowship Church sticker on your car or what. Like, if you are a man, you're being challenged in front of your wife. You take care of things, right? So I'm, I'm telling him. And I look over at my wife expected her to be all excited for me. And she has got this horrified look on her face. She's like, she's turned pale. She's shaking her head like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what, this isn't sexy? This isn't cool? I don't get it. So I turn back and I look and I realize I'm looking at this elderly man and his handicap placard is still swinging in his mirror right there. I'm going, what am I doing right now? So I, I just, I put my head down and, and I grabbed Omelie. We start walking in and she starts grilling me. She's like, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you gonna beat up an old man in the par- uh, parking lot at Target? Like, oh, that's gonna look great in the paper. Pastor at Fellowship Church beats up elderly man. Like, well, I tell you that because when you're in the middle of a fight, you're not thinking. And I'm not talking about the stranger uh, that we just run into out in public, but with those relationships that are, we're the closest with, when you're in the middle of a fight with someone, when you're throwing raka, you say, you fool, when you're throwing those types of things at one another, that smoldering dump that's taking place, that's growing on the inside, you're not looking at the end result of going, well, how did we get to a place where now we're sitting across the desk and dividing assets? How did we get to a place where my kids haven't talked to me in years now? How did we get to this place? And it's because when you're in the middle of fighting, it could be so easy to stop thinking. And Jesus is going, listen, there is an urgency here that you have to understand. You have to settle these matters right now. You have got to stop because the enemy's agenda is destruction. The enemy's strategy is division, but his tactic is offense. If I can just get you to get offended, with that loved one, then, then maybe I can wedge something in between the two of you. Sarah Stewartkin, I ask you guys to come back up and, and help me again. Guys, these guys have been married 14 years. Let's give them a round of applause as they come up here right now. I, I got an illustration I want to share with you today. Uh, Stuart, if you could come stand right here. Sarah, if you could stand right here. I've got a garden up here on stage. This, this garden it shows like the, the promise of the love of a relationship where there's potential for love and for intimacy to grow. Um, but I also have a fence picket. 
I have a fence, and this fence is to represent a fence. Get it? <laughs> Pretty proud of that. But Jesus tells us that life is going to hand you offenses. In fact, Luke 17, 1, a lot of Christians get confused and get frustrated in life because they don't listen to the fact that Jesus so clearly says this. He says, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. The Son of God himself said, it is impossible for you. God is saying something's impossible. I think we should cue up to this, okay? He said, it is impossible that you're going to go through life without being offended. It's impossible that you're going to be married without someone handing you an offense. It's going to be impossible to have kids without your kids offending you. So I'm talking about marriage right now, but really, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. You can get something out of this right now. This is good stuff because every one of us and every one of our relationships are going to deal with offense. So what happens is in a marriage relationship, we accidentally hand our spouse an offense. And it might look like this. It might look like, you know, um, I was trying to give my mom a compliment, so we were over at her, their house, okay? So, are, are you a good cook? She's a good cook? Yes, Who's the cook? She's a good cook. He's a smart man, so he's paying attention. You didn't know how long you've been married, but you know she's a good cook. That's good. So, say you're over at your mom's house, right? And and you just want to give your mom a compliment. You say something along the lines of, Mom, this is the best stuffing I've ever had. Nobody cooks stuffing like you, right? People try to cook stuffing, but no one cooks stuffing like you. All the while, Sarah over here is hearing, my wife can't cook stuffing, right? He's just, he, he wasn't trying to be offensive, but guys say stupid things. Why do we all say, we say stupid things? I don't know. But, but we say stupid things, and, and it's like he was trying to compliment, and now she's thinking, well, you better like your mom's stuffing because she's the only one who's ever going to cook you stuffing again, right? Yeah. And he's like, she, he was just handed an offense here. But, but maybe it's not the things we say. Sometimes it's what we don't do. Like, let's just imagine, I mean, I don't know how you guys are with birthdays, but let's say birthdays are really important to Sarah and, and to Stuart. Maybe they weren't that big of a deal. They didn't really care that much, didn't do that big of a deal. Or maybe for Sarah, it was always about getting up with pancakes in the morning and her family would sing her a song. But for Stuart, it was always about, we're going to go out to dinner tonight and that's going to be our big celebration. So Sarah, what's your favorite restaurant? Do you eat? <laughs> pasta what? Pasta J's. Okay, I haven't heard of that, but apparently it's great. So Pasta J's. <laughs> Stuart knows that Pasta J's is her favorite place. He's thinking, I'm going to get up on her birthday, and, and a, after I go to work, I'm going to take her to Pasta J's. It's going to be amazing. But all the while, she's got this expectation that he's going to get up and make pancakes and sing a song. And see, now she's got an expectation that's going to go unmet because it's been unexpressed. And unexpressed expectations are always a breeding ground for offense. So she's thinking, I, I need to get my pancakes in the morning. And he gets up and he goes to work. And how dare you? You went to work without making her pancakes and you handed her an offense. All the while he's thinking, I'm taking her to Pasta J's tonight. He didn't even know. But in marriage, it's not just about the guy always handing the girl an offense because it, it can be the opposite sometimes. I mean, here's an example I did not get permission from my wife to share. <laughs> but... uh. Hopefully it's not too offensive. 
But I remember a, a newlywed couple when I, when I first came to recognize that my wife's recreational preference was shopping. <laughs> she would come into the house and she'd have bags hanging off her arms. She's all proud of it. And she's coming in. I'm looking at the bags. and I don't see bags. I see grenades, right? That she's about to lob into our financial picture. And she has the gall and the nerve and the audacity to look at me and say, don't worry, babe. I got it on sale. Yeah. It's an offense. Come over here with me, Stuart. So now I'm laying in bed at night and thinking about the shopping. I'm thinking maybe she doesn't know how hard I work. I'm, I'm trying right now, you know. And, and the enemy's like, yeah, that's right. She don't care. Why don't you just bury that in there? Bury, get it in there. She don't care. She doesn't, she doesn't care how much you're slaving away right now. She's, she's bothered. Meanwhile, Sarah over here, she's frustrated about her birthday. It's been four months. Why are you still frustrated about your birthday after four months? Come on over here. And he's like, yeah, he, if he cared, he would have he got you pancakes on, on your birthday. And puts it in there. Then I can remember an argument I got with my wife when we, uh, we were newlyweds. And I came home and she was doing my laundry. And uh, the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. I looked at her and I said, you're folding my socks wrong. Do I need to explain? <laughs> Coming on 18 years, she has still never done my socks again in my life. <laughs> and then, isn't it funny how when, you, when you're first dating, you look at things in each other, and I'm not just talking about them, I'm talking about you. But you look at things in, in your spouse, and the things that attract you to them at first can start to drive you flipping nuts, Right? Like you start dating and you're like, man, she's so mysterious. She's so quiet. You know, there's just so much to learn about her. And then later you're like, she never talks. Why won't she ever talk to me? Why? She's always just so, I can never tell what's on her mind, right? And all the while, Sarah's like, you know, he was so outgoing. He was just full life, the life of the party everywhere we go. And now Stuart won't shut up. Why will you just stop talking? Shut up, Stuart, shut up. And these things left unchecked as life begins handing you offenses and life begins handing you offenses. Then we start finding ourselves in a place where we're going, you know what? It's like I, I put the hamper right there in his closet so, so he could put his clothes in the hamper. But they always end up right next to the hamper. And i got to pick up his dirty socks and his dirty underwear to get it into the hamper. Do you not care? Oh, you're going, I'm the only one in this house who ever takes out the trash. I got it. No, it's okay. It's just over. I got it. I'm fine. No, don't worry. You sit there. I'm fine. I got it this time. I'm perfectly fine with getting up with the kid again at 3 o'clock in the morning. You got to work. Doesn't matter. I haven't been asleep in three months, but, but we're just going to bury this right in here. And the enemy will try to get you to relive things. You know, well, remember what she said that day? Did she, she ever come back and apologize for that? And, and he tries to get you to take the offenses that we have been handed, and he tries to get you to bury them into the same garden 
that you have such potential for growth. Sarah, come on over here. So now, what God has made to become one, the enemy has divided. And it's because you built a, a fence. And, and it's this prison of a fence where, see, I, I was trying to lock them out. I was trying to put them in prison, but I'm not putting them in prison. Really, I find myself in prison going, Stuart, uh, we haven't talked in a while, Stuart. Everything okay? Well, why don't we go out anymore? It's been, it's been three years since you brought me to Pasta Jay's, Stuart. Four. Four, he says. We're going to put one more right there. I don't understand. Because the... The enemy's agenda is destruction. His strategy is division, but his tactic is offense. So do you see why Jesus has such an urgency when he says, stop what you're doing and go fix these relationships? Don't let an offense come. I mean, don't you wish we had a picture, an example of someone who would find something different to do with the offenses? And don't you love the fact that our God gave us this picture when he hung himself on the cross and said, you know what, I'm going to take every offense that has been committed against me and, and with the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said, I'm going to drop it. And really, that's, that's the strategy when it comes to relationships that are important. Sarah, come back out here. That... It's not a question of will you be offended in your relationships. You will. We're told by God it's going to happen. The question is what will you do when you get offended? So when he doesn't meet your needs, when he frustrates you, the answer is you got to drop it. So go ahead and throw it down. And, and when she doesn't respond to you the way you were hoping she would respond to you, you got to drop it. So throw it down. And any time that your kid isn't listening to you the way you want them to and you're just thinking, well, they don't understand that I've already been here, you just got to drop it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you suppress it. I'm not saying you smother it. You got to deal with this situation. Jesus says, settle the matter. So you got to have the conversation. You say, you know, I want pancakes on my birthday, but after you have the pancakes, drop it. We throw it down. So any time in any relationship that matters, you're going to be handed offenses. And the question is not, will I be offended? It's what will I do with it? The enemy wants you to bury it in the place that's most important in your relationships. But we see our Savior who simply says, you know what? If you're going to follow my lead, what I want you to do on the count of three is drop it. One, two, three. Drop it. Let's give him a hand, guys. Thank you very much. In fact, I promised you beforehand, if you'd come on stage with me, I'd give you something. So here's a gift certificate to Red Lobster. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, Pasta Jays, but uh, hopefully it'll help. <laughs> Guys, would you stand with me? This is one of those messages where you're like, man, that was feel good. That was fun. So easy. What am I going to do with all these offenses that come up in my life? I'm going to drop it. But... 
Real easy to hear. A lot more challenging to do. Because as I'm talking right now, I know that the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict some people in this room. And there's a lot of you, you know, you need to go make a phone call after the service is over. You need to go apologize to someone. You need to go make something right. You got to go settle the matter before it gets worse. And, and that's where the challenge can be. The challenge can be when you leave here and it, it, it's not feel-good time anymore uh, and I'm not surrounded by a bunch of other people that believe the same way I do, but I gotta go back into my workplace and I gotta make things right with my coworker. That's where I wanna pray for you today. That God would give you the strength and the ability and the courage to step forward and to follow his lead where he said, you know what, I'm gonna take the offenses and I'm gonna drop it. Because the main take-home that I hope you'll understand when it comes to offense in your life is Offense is an event, but offended is a decision. Let's drop it. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we thank you. Thank you that you dropped the charges that are against us. Thank you for dropping the offenses uh, that we've all committed against you, the sin that we've committed against you, the, the anger, the betrayal, that everything we've done wrong that you've so easily forgiven us for. And we pray right now that you would help us follow your lead into our relationships where we would drop those things. We'd stop allowing the enemy to sneak in these little wedges in our relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, but instead we drop it. So God, I pray right now that you would give us the courage we need to be able to leave here and to follow the steps of, of apologizing and making things right and reconciling with those that we're supposed to reconcile with. Help us, God, to live at peace with everyone that we can live at peace with. So God, thank you so much for your word. And I just pray today that as it goes deep into our hearts, it will grow in, into the type of forgiving lifestyle that you want us to resemble from you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everybody said, amen. You guys have a wonderful Sunday. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.